All right, let's take our Bibles now. We're going to open to the book of Exodus. My hope is to finish up the Ten Commandments here this morning. We've been working our way through them. To do that, we've got to cover two of them. I've got a lot of information on these two, so we'll see how we make it through it. Well, today we're going to deal with the last two commandments, which is found in verse 16 and 17. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. But I do see a progression when I look at the Ten Commandments. We've talked about before how the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. It's a vertical relationship. How it talks about worshiping God only, no, no graven images, no taking the Lord's name in vain, keeping the Sabbath. Then it goes into our horizontal relationships, our relationships with one another, honoring your father and mother, not killing, not stealing, not committing adultery, not bearing false witness, not coveting. Those are all horizontal things from person to person. And so we see that progression, but I see more than that too, because the Ten Commandments, if you think about it, it starts out with a heart response, a heart issue, because it talks about worship. And that's an internal, that's a heart issue. But then it becomes external, focusing on activity, not making graven images. It becomes verbal. It deals with our speech by not taking the name of the Lord in vain. It becomes physical by keeping the Sabbath. As it started with a heart and deals with uh, actions and speech. And then it goes into our horizontal relationships and it starts with actions. And then it comes down to speech by not lying. And then down to the heart issue by not coveting. And so the Ten Commandments, often we look at these kind of coldly as just they're the command. Plain and simple. Black and white. And they are that. But they're so much deeper than that actually because it actually begins and ends with heart issues. These are things that cannot be observed just mechanically. They're not just actions. They're actions and speech and heart. Also, thoughts and what is the core of our being. Jesus recognized the connection uh, with that in our speech when He says it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. I think it's so much easier sometimes to not sin with our hands than it is to not sin with our mouth. In fact, the Bible says if anybody doesn't sin with their mouth, they're a perfect person. Because it's so easy to sin with our mouth and to let our tongue get away from us. As we look at it this morning, I just entitled these last two that we're considering this morning, The Heart of the Matter. Because as we come back into these, he's been dealing with actions for the last four of these commands. Maybe not so much with honor your father and mother. That would involve actions and attitude. But then from there, it's been don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Those are definite actions. But now he's going to bring that back to the heart of the issue. And we're going to see that with coveting, especially, the heart of the issue is that we're not going to covet because that's idolatry. So it brings us all the way back to the heart issue of the beginning of those commands. But then also not coveting our neighbor's possessions and belongings and relationships and position, those are what lead to all the other commandments, the not killing and the not stealing and the not committing adultery. Those all had to start with coveting. So that's what we're going to consider this morning as we look at this law and the last two of them specifically is what is exactly the heart of the matter. Well, to deal with the first one, he says you shall not bear false witness. Now, the language in here would lend us to think about a courtroom experience, although I do believe that it goes beyond that. I don't think it is limited to the court, but it is a very important place to be dealing with this is in a court kind of a setting. He says, you shall not bear false witness. 
You know, one of the things that stood out in my mind, too, as we went through these things, especially with this one with bearing false witness, was it just brings me back to the gospel. It brings me back to Christ. As I started studying through bearing false witness, one of the first thoughts that came to my mind was Christ endured this. You know, when they brought him on trial and had those mock trials through the middle of the night to try to find a reason to put him to death, one of the things that they did to Christ was they brought in people that brought false accusations. They brought in false witnesses before Christ. And so Christ endured false witnesses as part of what sent him to the cross. Obviously, he's enduring murder too because they put him to death. They took his clothes, so they stole from him. And so there's so many of these commandments that he suffered the results of those even on his way to the cross for us. And it's to go to the cross and to do what? To deliver us from the law because we ourselves have broken these laws as well. But as we consider it here this morning, I'm going to take both of these commands. I want to look at them through three different lenses. We're going to look at the offense that occurs by looking at how it relates between us and God, between us and our neighbors, between us even and ourselves. In other words, the point I'm trying to make is, you shall not bear false witness is an offense against God. Now, as I said, it, it, it kind of brings us into the courtroom idea that you're called up on the witness stand to give a testimony of something that you've seen or that you've heard, and you need to tell the truth. Our law recognizes that in our country very strongly. In fact, if you get up on the stand and you say something that is false, you lie on there, you perjure yourself. And that is a serious crime in our country. Why is it a serious crime? Because other people's lives are on the line here. And the truth is at stake. And so the truth needs to come out. We have this whole judicial system and the law enforcement system in place in order to make sure and ensure justice for the citizens of our country. And so in order to do that, law enforcement and the judicial system needs truth. You know, I found the same thing in my position as a pastor. And I have couples that come and we engage in some counseling maybe to help somebody through troubled spots in their relationship or maybe family counseling with troubled spots between parents and children or parents and teenagers. You know what I found to be true a hundred times out of a hundred is the ability to get the truth greatly impacts the results that you can achieve. Anytime I sit down with a couple or with a family or a couple of individuals dealing with an issue... If everybody's honest and all the truth comes out, it becomes easy to deal with. But if people are holding back, you can only go so far. In fact, uh, sometimes that can be a bigger detriment because you end up going down wrong paths because you're not dealing with the right issue. And you know what? It's the same thing within our country and our judicial system, but not just that. It's the same thing in relationships. Truth has to be dealt with. Why is this command here? It's, It's here, I think, for three reasons. Two of them come out strongly in the text. One is because of God, who God is. One is because of what it does to other people. But then I also think it's there because this is how we're made to operate. It's part of our owner's manual. And so how it affects us is important as well. Well, first of all, when we see how it's an offense against God, we see in several different places throughout the Bible that we see in God's nature that God is truth. Even Jesus, when He talked in John chapter 14 and verse 6, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is truth. In Psalm 51, verse 6, David would write to God and say, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David is in a place right now where he's, he's been outside of God's truth and he's been brought back in underneath it. And he's thankful for that. And he knows what's to, what it is to be on the outside of it. And he just recognizes that God in His character 
is truth. When we say something false, when we say something that's not true, we are going against the nature of God. Because God is truth. And He demands truth from us and in our relationships with one another. Also, Proverbs chapter 6 and verses 16 through 19, it says there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to Him. And when you get down to the sixth thing that He lists there, it says a false witness who breathes out lies. So God says, look, there are six things that I hate. Seven things that I hate. False witness. Lying gets within God's top seven of the things that He hates. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. And so we see kind of the positive and the negative side with that verse. God says people that act faithfully, people that tell the truth, they're my delight. I delight in truth. But He's also saying I abhor falsehood. I hate lies. And so when we look, consider this command, why is this command important? Because, well, one, and most importantly, it's an offense against God. If I'm dishonest, if I'm being deceptive, then I'm sinning against the Almighty God. And I've done that. And that puts me in hot water. And you know what? I don't want to be there. And that's exactly why we needed Christ to deliver us from those things. And so, one, it's an offense against God. But two, not only is it an offense against God, it's also an offense against your neighbor. You know, a lot of the commands that he's given here, he hasn't really mentioned neighbor. He's implied because if he says don't kill, well, obviously you have to kill somebody if you're going to kill. If he says don't commit adultery, then it's somebody's wife. If he says don't steal, then it's somebody's possession and it's not yours. And so the the idea of somebody else or a neighbor is obviously implied in every command. But now in these last two commands, he specifically mentions neighbor. And he says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Why? Because he's bringing into play the other person because you're damaging that other person. Now obviously in a courtroom setting, you have a real opportunity... I don't want to make that sound like it's a good thing, but there is, a, there is an opportunity there to damage an individual. But it's not just there. It's in all of our relationships. In all of our relationships, if we speak falsely, if we, if we exaggerate something that, is a, something that went on to, to make somebody look bad, then we damage them. I remember a statement that was made to me a long time ago in a, in a certain situation when I was considering one ministry. A professor of mine gave me a, some good advice. He says, look, if you choose to go into that ministry, he says, you've got to be able to do this. You've got to be able to operate according to principle and not according to people. We should always operate according to principle, not according to person. You know why? Because what I see in our experience in life is we tend to take people that we care about, people that we're in close relationships with, and when they do something wrong, we tend to kind of give them a pass on that. Now, I'm not saying that love doesn't cover a multitude of sins like it does in the Bible as far as holding a grudge or anything like that, but the Bible actually tells us to step up and to call people that are close to us out on things like that so that they can be delivered from it. So that they don't pursue a path that they shouldn't follow. 
But often I see that sometimes we will give a pass to a person on one thing, and then somebody else that maybe we don't get along quite as well with, they get criticized for exactly the same thing. I remember dealing with that uh, years ago, seeing that and helping with youth groups and stuff like that. I remember watching sometimes as one parent sometimes would complain about something that was happening in the, uh, the going, was going on within the life of somebody else's kid, but when their kid did the same thing, they were, oh, what's the problem? Then if you brought it up dealing with their kid, boy, oh, you're not going there. Because now it's their kid. I'm thinking, well, what, that was the same, same. Eh. But you know what? We have a tendency to do that. Here's the question that I like to ask myself. Is it the same? Whether my friend does it, or my enemy? Do I still see it the same? You know, because that's one of the things that I hate about politics. Politics are important because they touch people's lives. They create environments that we live in. And so politics are important. But you know what I hate about politics? Is that whether or not something is right or wrong seems to be depending on whether somebody on your side did it or not. And when you look at some of these things on the news and some, and some congressman or congresswoman or something does something and he just gets blasted by one side and completely defended by the other. And every once in a while a newscaster will say, well, remember when? And they switch parties, different people, but the same thing happened. And the, well, then these people were all against it who are for it now. And these people are all for it who were against it then. And it seems to be all according to person and not according to principle. You know what? That's exactly, I think, what is polarizing a lot of our nation. You know what? When your friend does something good, we need to acknowledge that something good has been done. When your enemy does something good, we need to acknowledge that something good has been done. When your, when your friend does something wrong, we need to acknowledge that that was wrong. And when your enemy does something wrong, we need to acknowledge that that was wrong. But so many times I find a tendency within myself, within others, to be quicker to belittle somebody that I disagree with, quicker to defend somebody that is close to me, and we need to be careful that there's honesty through all of these relationships. The care that I take with my friend, I should take that same kind of care with my enemy or somebody that I don't agree with. Or maybe there's somebody that is strongly disagreeing with me. We need to be honest in our relationships with one another as it affects our neighbor. As we look uh, um, in Proverbs in chapter 12 and verse 17, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. In chapter 14, verse 25, it says a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. And so God recognizing that, that we're damaging other people, we're being deceptive if we're not being completely honest within our relationships. But then lastly, it also has an offense against you. It causes problems for you. You know, one of the, one of the biggest pitfalls with sin is that it just keeps sucking you down into it further and further. It gets a hold of you and it just, it just pulls you down into it. And this is how it works. The first time that you tell a lie, it bothers you. It bothers your conscience. The second time, it bothers it a little less. 
The third time, it bothers it a little less. And before you know it, you're a different person. You have a different, whereas maybe you were strong in character at one point, giving in to one temptation starts to weaken your character, weaken your character, weaken your character. You know, I remember years ago we had a, a teenager that was living in our home for a little while as we were trying to help her get on a good path and she'd been involved in some things that she shouldn't have been. And, and uh, we were having a discussion with her in our home one night about the things that she had been involved in. And we were like, you can't do that. You can't. Because she was talking about how hard the struggle was. And I just, I'm just going to f- just forget about it. And we're like, you can't do that. You're going to feel horrible. It's, it's going to bother your conscience to do that. And you know what her response was? She said, for a little bit it will. You see, she'd been there before. And she knew that that first one, yeah, when I first give up, it's going to be sad. It's going to hurt. The next day it's going to hurt, but a little bit less. Pretty soon it won't hurt at all. And that's the problem. With any sin that we start to give ourselves into, at first it bothers us. Down the road it won't even bother you. Because our conscience gets hardened, it gets seared to it. You know, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 5 recognizes this. It says, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. You know, the Bible tells us, Be sure your sin will find you out. We cannot participate in sin. We cannot get into falsehood without eventually being trapped. What is that old saying? Oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we do deceive. Uh, you know, that, that's the thing. One lie leads to another and it grows until finally you're deep in it. And it will surface. You know, the people that damages our relationships, the people that used to trust you will not trust you so much because you don't seem to be reliable in the things that you say. And so it's an offense. It actually comes back to hurt us, the person that is telling the lie also. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 9 says, A false witness will not go unpunished. He and he who breathes out lies will perish. So change this is basically quoted the one we just read before it, but just change that last little part, the one who uh, who breathes out lies will perish. Proverbs twelve nineteen says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. You know, if we follow the history of Israel, remember it's Israel that was first given these commands not to bear false witness, to be honest and truth tellers. If we follow Israel's history, they didn't do too well at it. They didn't seem to do too well in most of these commands. But in Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet is being sent by God to Judah and he's telling them, look, you're going to get hauled off into captivity. Because you've violated these commands, because you've broken our covenant, you're going to be carried off into captivity. So Jeremiah is giving them like the last call for repentance. Look, you need to stop. You need to repent so that God will be merciful and not send you off into captivity. And they don't. In fact, early in the book of Jeremiah, God gives Jeremiah a task. In chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Though they say as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth. You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to repent. So we see a whole conversation happen right there in those three verses. 
start off with, God tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want to pardon the house of Judah. So what I want you to do is go all over the land. Go all over Jerusalem and look in every nook and cranny. And this is what I want you to find. Just one. Just one person who's doing right, who's living for truth. Jeremiah comes back and he says, God, I can't find one. Even though you've brought hardships upon them to try to get them to come back, they have just gotten hard and they like a rock and they have refused to repent. Then in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 28, just two chapters later, says, And you shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. And then in Jeremiah 9, verses 3-5, through 5, it says, They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know Me, declares the Lord. Let everyone beware of his neighbor, and put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. You see, as he describes the nation of Israel at that point, God is saying, what is a huge problem with Israel? What is going to end up in their captivity? He says, as they refuse the truth. He says, I sent Jeremiah to look for one person that was committed to truth. Couldn't find a one. They're committed to falsehood. They're liars. And as he describes the community of Israel at that point, you can't even trust your brother or your neighbor because everybody speaks falsely. Everybody's just looking out for number one. You know, I watched uh, and read a few articles a little bit this last week on, uh, on a controversy between two of our Congress people, two of our representatives. And one accuses the other of this comments against her of attacking her. And he comes back and says, no, I didn't attack. I was talking policy. And at either rate, there were some inappropriate things that were being said there, some language and stuff like that. And, and you know what? In the end, I don't know who's telling the truth and who isn't. But I do know this. Nothing is going to happen good in our, in our leadership within our country as long as this is how it's happening. It's when our leaders are able to put away the falsehoods and look at the truths for what they are and look at the evidence for what they are, not by who it's going to keep in power or give strength in office. It's not until we get to that that we're going to have some good decisions made in our nation. It's the same, not just in the big relationships within our country, it's in the relationships of your life and mine. We've got to be able to deal honestly. Deal with the truth no matter how it's, who it's touching or what it means. We need to be honest. That's exactly why the Apostle Paul told the church that's how we're going to have to operate. In fact, if anybody's going to lead the way in this whole thing, it ought to be the people of God. It ought to be the, those who are delivered from falsehood by Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he is writing to the Ephesians, as we've seen in others of these commands as well, in chapter 4, 
And he's telling them to put on this new life that they have in Christ. Assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. You see, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to Ephesus, not necessarily your bastion of truth, but he's writing to the church within Ephesus, which should be your bastion of truth. And that's what he tells them. He says, look, all of you within the Ephesus church need to do this. You need to put away falsehood and speak the truth with one another. Why? Because it impacts them. In fact, that's what he's talking about at the moment. He says it impacts who you are in your new man. Christ died for you to forgive you and to separate you from all the things that you've done in the past that were wrong. Any falsehoods that you've spoken in the past. Any lies that you've told. Any other sins that you've committed. That's all part of your old nature and that needs to go away. You need to shed that like a snake does its skin. And as you shed that, you need to be putting on this new man in Christ. Which this new man in Christ is a truth teller. Is somebody who cares deeply for the truth and stands for the truth. He says, that's what you need to be. So he's writing to them, telling them, look, the reason you need to be a truth teller is for you. So that you're the right kind of person. So you're living out the right kind of life in Christ. But then he doesn't leave it there. He says, because we are members one of another. So it's not just about me. It's also about all the people around me within the church. About our relationship with one another. You know, I think I'm going to end with this because we don't really have time to get into covetousness because we've got a lot to say about that. And uh, I don't think we're going to... We don't have time for it this morning. But I want to end with this. When my kids were little and they finally got old enough where they could lie, you know what? They did. Because they're little sinners just like me. They got it from me. They got it, they got it from... We inherit our sinful nature. Parents to children all down through the ages. So why should I expect any different? You know, I was always going to do a lot better job than my parents, and so my kids were never going to lie or do anything wrong. But, yeah. <laughs> That's before you have kids. And, you know what? I remember dealing with it, and it was a struggle. And it was hard and trying to get our kids to see the importance of truth. And we talked about all these things. We talked about, you know what, when you tell a lie, it puts a, it puts a block between you and God. It damages your relationship with God because God hates lying. But we also told them, you know what it does? It destroys our family. Because we pointed out, we said, look, if everybody lies to each other, if I lie to your mom and your mom lies to me and we lie to you and you lie to us, what does that do to the family? Then we end up a family where nobody can trust each other. When somebody tells you something, well, maybe it's true, but you just never know. Because there's no honesty. And where there's no honesty, where there's no truth, there can be no trust. And where there's no trust, as I remember telling one of our kids, there's no relationship. 
And it just explained to our kids, look, we want to be close with you. We want our family to be a close unit where we, wherein we find acceptance and wherein we find comfort and wherein we find protection and wherein we find love. None of that can happen without truth because none of that can happen without trust. You know, when we get on the wrong side of truth, we are offending God because His nature is truth. We're offending others because we're damaging other people and we're damaging our relationship with other people because we're removing the element of trust one piece at a time. And when we're not honest, we damage ourselves because our own character is diminished. And we go to being somebody that is not trustworthy. And that is why God tells us, do not bear false witness.